The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and God as we look at Genesis chapter 24. Father, we recognize, God, your incredible providential leading in our lives. That, Father, we can be certain to know your will, God, and certain that you'll be faithful to guide and direct us. That you're working behind the scenes in ways that we don't even realize, God, to fulfill your will through our lives. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at this story this morning, God, you quicken our hearts, Lord. Encourage those who may uh, be seeking your will at this time, God, Father, to know that you, in fact, lead. And, God, you're working in our lives. Lord, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. I believe this is probably the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, so we're only going to read through about the first 28 verses, and then I'll narrate as we go along the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 24. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who was in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you'll go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said no to him. See that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, And who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Also, you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, or he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with water jar on her shoulder. 
And the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden or a woman of marrying age, whom no man had known, a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled her jar, and she came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Then she had finished drink, giving him a drink. She said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all of his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for me to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, probably one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture, in my view, as to the provident working hand of God, that God works behind the scenes in ways that you and I have no idea that He's working to bring about His will in your life so that His purposes might be served. The proverb says this, the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. In other words, we will make plans in our life, but it's God in that who directs our steps to bring us into an alignment with his will so that his purposes and his will might be fulfilled. Back in the 80s, Henry Blackaby wrote a great Bible study. Many of us still do it. If you remember the Bible study, Experiencing God, how many of you remember that? A profound Bible study that impacted my life and many others. And Henry Blackaby, in describing how we know the will of God, Henry Blackaby made the statement that there are five things that we need to look for. Really, he said there are five lights that would guide the ship into the harbor where that when they align, we know the will and the purpose of God. God has not hidden his will from us. Amen. He readily wants to show it. And Henry Blackaby said that this first light going into the harbor is that of the word of God. Underline this, God will never lead you or me outside of the precepts and the principles and the truths of the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? If you think you've heard an angel speak it, it's probably a demonic angel if it does not line up with this book. The second light that Henry Blackaby told us we need to look for is that light through prayer when God responds and makes impression on our hearts. So there's two more lights there, prayer and God impressing in our heart His will and His direction in our life. The fourth way Henry Blackaby 
gave us as confirmation to God's will is that he has given us the body of Christ that we are in community with. And it is through the body of Christ that God will oftentimes confirm his will in our lives as we share that decision with others. As we ask them to pray and they speak into our lives, you might say, but they will confirm, yes, I can. I affirm that I see God working this way in your life. And the last thing that we seem to kind of pass over oftentimes is that Henry Blackaby said, lastly, God will work through circumstances in our life to show us his will and bring about his will in our lives. We might term that, that God providentially works through circumstances and events so that he might fulfill his will, answer our questions, give us direction in our life. Now, for me, that is probably one of the most affirming ways as I look for God's will in my life. Because oftentimes, if circumstances don't line up according to that, I might need to take pause and say, God, am I moving in the right direction in this? And so God works providentially, and we see that in this story in Genesis chapter 24, probably one of the most specific chapters in all of Scripture that we see God working in just the everyday day-in and day-out events in Abraham's life and Isaac's life to fulfill his will and his purposes. Webster's Dictionary defines providence this way, God omnisciently directing the universe and affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. Have you ever had an instance in your life where you were praying or seeking God for an answer or looking for God's fulfillment of a promise, and all of a sudden, just out of the happenstance of the day, you run into someone or you go somewhere else and you run into someone or an event takes place in your life and God just incredibly moves in a way and you go, aha, God, now I see what you're doing. That's God's providence. It's his working behind. So we want to look at some of the ways that that God is leading Abraham, that God's leading Abraham's servant, that God's leading uh, Rebecca in all of these situations to give them leading and a guidance in kind of an everyday event of life. Now, Abraham had already had plenty of opportunities to see God working providentially in his life. Abraham made some mistakes. Abraham did some things that were wrong. Abraham had lack of faith, but he saw God working throughout the story as we've been tracking through from chapter 12 of how God providentially worked in Abraham's life to bring about God's will in Abraham's life and ultimately what God's will was as a promise to Abraham. And as he approached his servant, he understood and knew by this point in his life that God is faithful and God can be trusted. How many of us have learned or are learning that God is faithful and that God can be trusted even when circumstances don't seem to appear that way? You see, Abraham had gone through enough knocks, if you will, in life to see God's hand even through those to bring about his will and his purpose. He says this in verse 7 of chapter 24, speaking of God, who took me, who spoke to me, 
who swore to me, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. You see, God had faithfully moved in Abraham's life, and Abraham was assured that in in this way, and doesn't it kind of seem preposterous? Hey, servant, I want you to go back to a distant land, and I want you to play matchmaker to find a suitable wife for my son. Would anybody want that charge? And he sets out in doing that. The second thing that I want us to see is how God guided Abraham's servant in the prayer that he prays as he is seeking God for this wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. Now, the prayer that he prays may seem a little bit presumptuous to us, but the servant asked humbly in humility and just sought God in kind of an everyday, day-in-out way for his guidance and his direction. I find myself many days and many steps in my day during the day, and many of you can relate to this because how many of us know what today is going to hold? None of us do. But as we come at those points in our life, we offer up what I like to call those popcorn prayers. God, give me guidance in this. God, help me understand to know. God, help me to hear your spirit as I have to make this decision or I move in that direction. And I'm convinced that God works in answered prayers most often in his leading in our lives through those momentary, independent times of depending on God in the very small of details and in the greatest of details as well. There are not many times where I have experienced in my life where God had to move a single atom or a single uh, molecule to bring about his direction in my life. You see, oftentimes we seek these miraculous signs. God, if you bring a pink cow my way, then I'll know that it's your will. Now, God can bring a pink cow in your way, right? But it's most often through those circumstantial leadings that God speaks to us, our our hearts, confirms his will by the word of God that this is the way, go in it. We see this prayer that he offers up. Recapping the prayer, it's simply God and he acknowledges who God is. And he says, God... When I ask a woman, the woman that I kind of scope out and I look, and I ask her to give me water, she does it. And God, if, if she then volunteers to water all of my 10 camels, then I will know that this is the one that you're guiding me to and that you're directing me to. You see, his prayer... Though, though detailed, was not one of demanding of God. Who are we to think we can demand anything of God? Amen? Not one of a fleece. God, I've got to see this and then I'll know. But God confirmed to me in the decision that I've already made to the woman that I'll ask to give me a drink. And here he's asking God for guidance. Now, a little side note here. We, we kind of gloss over in this that she responded by asking or giving him a drink and then volunteering to water his 10 camels. A little fact about watering 10 camels. Wells in 
the Far East and Near East were not like the wells we have today where you drill them or you bore them down. They were more dugout cisterns, and we saw many of these when some of us were in a trip to Israel. And leading down into that well or that water, we might even call it a jacuzzi, it was about that size, there would be steps that led down into the water. And it's a known fact that that a camel will consume, will drink about 25 gallons of water when it fills itself up with water. Your typical jar in that day held about three gallons of water. It took a camel 10 minutes to drink 25 gallons of water So Rebecca had to make somewhere between 80 and 100 trips down into the well to bring up the water, which would have taken her about an hour and a half to two hours. Now, that is incredible. That is some kind of woman. Amen? Just a side note, but I think it's important to see how how really preposterous his prayer was. And how detailed God was in answering his prayer to confirm that this was the woman. You see, Scripture confirms that that God was already working behind the scenes. Notice what he said in verse 15, that, that as he had prayed his prayer, before he had finished speaking, behold, here comes Rebekah. You see, God had begun to answer his prayer long before he began to pray his prayer. I can remember the first time in my early Christian life that I saw God working in this way. Sandy and I were in California. We were going through a Bible school there, and and money was very tight. And I had prayed that day because we needed money. How many of us need money? Amen. Amen. I mean, we needed money because we needed groceries. And I remember very specifically that afternoon as I went to retrieve our mail, in our mailbox there was a check in the amount of $300 written by a person in Georgia that had made its way all the way to California long before I had begun to ask God that prayer. And so what we fail to recognize oftentimes is that God is always, always, always working behind the scenes to answer the prayers that we might have, to give us leading and direction in our life. And when it comes, we say, aha! Now, some of us simply pass it off as fate, circumstantial events that take place, Some pass it off as, well, wasn't I lucky? No, you weren't lucky. But those who understand and know the leading of the Spirit of God or who are in fellowship with Him recognize God's providential hand in our life. I like what Nahum Sarna writes about this in his commentary on the book of Genesis. He says, nothing is more characteristic of biblical man than a profound pervasive conviction about the role of divine providence in everyday human affairs. It should be noted that the servant does not ask for a miraculous divine intervention or for a revelation that would designate Isaac's bride-to-be. 
He prays, rather, that the rationale, rational criteria, and suitability that he himself determines might be in accordance with God's will and be effective. You see, God works in the day-in and day-out instances, events in our lives to bring about his will and his purpose. I love what J.I. Packer said. J.I. Packer noted this in the sovereignty of God. He says, believers are never in the grip of blind forces, meaning fortune, chance, luck, or faith. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice. Now, these events that take place in our life, we could categorize them in two ways. Follow me. We can categorize them in, in a good event way, column, and we can categorize them in a bad event problem. How many of you have ever had good events? How many of you have ever had bad events? Raise your other hand. We've all had both. But here, God works in every single of those in our lives. You see, we have to recognize that that God maintains all of life. We move and breathe, Paul says. It, in his being, he, 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 he's in every area of our life. Secondly, we see that God involves himself in every event. There's not an event in your life or my life that does not escape the eyes of a watchful God. Jesus said it very clearly. That, hey, let me paraphrase what Jesus said. Don't you realize that there's not a sparrow that falls from the tree that God doesn't notice? How much more is he concerned in your life if he pays attention to a little sparrow that falls from the tree? And God is involved and engaged in every, and God directs all things to their appointed end while rarely interrupting the natural order of life. The question is, are we going to recognize it or not? You see, I'm convinced that, that one of the ways that we have to live in order to recognize that is to be in God's Word, to be in fellowship with Him, but to live a life, as Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that our whole lives, that we live our lives as living sacrifices to Him and say, God, I've given you my life. I've surrendered it. Now, God, let me see you working in the events of my life. The second way that we see Him leading is that He moved Rebecca to respond to the invitation to go be Isaac's wife without delay. We see this in verses 55 to 58. But her, her, uh, her brother and her mother, let me back up. The, the event that takes place first is that, is that Abraham's servant goes to Rebekah's dad and her brother. And he recaps all of the evidence of God moving to answer his prayer. And Rebecca's father says, this must be from the Lord. Yes, I will grant her hand to your, son, to your uh, master's son Isaac so that she might be his bride. The decision had been made by Laban. By the way, this is the same Laban that we're going to see later in, uh, in Jacob's life. He deceived him. So... A leper cannot change its spots, we might say. 
After the permission has been granted, the next day, Laban, her brother, and her mother come to the servant, and they say this. Her mother and brother said, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10, and afterwards she may go. And he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. And they called Rebekah and they said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. You see, Rebekah responded in faith and obedience by recognizing God's working through the servant and the details of that, that when pressured by her mother and and her brother to stay a little longer, and they give the weight of the decision to her. She says, no, I recognize this is the hand of God, and I'm going to follow what God is leading. Lastly, we see that God, through his leading, brought comfort and hope to the future. Eventually, the story goes where they go back to Isaac, and Isaac sees Rebekah from afar, and they marry, and then therefore establishing the will and the promise of God. Now, let me ask this question in closing. I got five brief points here. How then should we respond to God's leading in our life? We see the story of God working providentially and through the prayer of the servant. And how should we respond to God's leading? Number one is this, that you and I need to come to God's word in faith, expecting to experience his presence, his promises, and his leading. And what God has spoken in his word, he will do. One of the greatest things that this book is for us, it is the inspired word of God, It's without error, without question. But the greatest thing that it does in your life and in my life when we are engaged in the Word of God is it increases our knowledge of who God is, His faithfulness, and it increases our knowledge of how much we need Him in our lives. I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord. As believers... This should be a daily consumption in our life, the Word of God, so that we know His ways and His direction. The second way is this, that we need to make ourselves available to Him in prayer. Now, if you're like me, consistent prayer is one of the greatest struggles I have in my Christian discipline. Anybody else with me, or am I the only bozo? You see, prayer is communion with God. It's fellowship with God. It's where we present our requests to God. It's where we worship Him. It's where we confess our sins to Him. And it's where He gives us leading and direction as we seek His will to know Him and to follow Him and to do all that He obeys. That's why we started this last year, that the first Wednesday night of every month on Wednesday nights, nothing else happens here on this campus besides our first and foremost time of corporate prayer. Those who are here Wednesday night, wasn't it a great time of prayer? I admit, I didn't want to be there Wednesday night. You ever have that feeling when you go to corporate prayer? I know that's a hard confession from the pastor, but I didn't want to be there. 
But after having spent that time with the body, my faith was strengthened. I was encouraged as we prayed over the students that will be going this week to Fuse, as we exalted the Lord, and I agreed with others, praises to God. And you know what happened? My attitude and my heart changed in corporate prayer, and I thank God for that opportunity every month. You see, the third thing we need to do is to commit to obey God even when facing resistance from others. You see, Rebecca was facing resistance from her mother and her brother. Now, that's hard to stand up to that kind of resistance, isn't it? I mean, it could have put in jeopardy her relationship to them for the rest of her life. But without reservation, she obeyed God. You see, she understood what the Proverbs said in 29:25: the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exhausted, exalted. We need to obey without delay. And we need to lastly expect that his leading will prove comforting for his plans always accomplish what they're set to do. Let me close by reading a very familiar passage to us that we, many of us have memorized it, we know it, but it bears repeating over and over and over. Because you see, providence is God's working, his outworking of his purposes in Christ in dealing with him, and we must take in heart God's day in and day out providence. Paul says in in Romans 8, chapter 28 to 30, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many things work together for good? All things work together for good in the lives of those who are called by God and love God, whether it is a good event or it's a bad event. God works in all of those things in our lives. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And God knew those that were going to be saved. And God determined in that, he determined that we would be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus. And God uses all of these events to conform us to the likeness of his son, Jesus. I can't remember who it was that said this, but they were, I think it was A.W. Tozer, but they were talking about a person in their life that was a very difficult person. And A.W. Tozer said, you know, I've come to recognize that that is the chisel in God's hand that he's using to conform me to the likeness of his son, Jesus. You see, God uses all those. The question is, do we learn from those? In order that he might be the firstborn among many, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You've heard it said that God helps those who help themselves. It's not not in this book. The fact is, God does not help those who help themselves. Rather, He helps those who entrust themselves completely to him, as did Abraham and his servant. So what does God want us to do? 
and trust our lives to him. Recognizing that God is in absolute control. That God's working behind the scenes and we have no clue how God is working. I've had many of those events in my life. And all of a sudden, when it happens, I'm able to look back and say, wow, I never saw that before, but God was doing this, and God was doing that, and God was working in this person's life, and God brought it all together. What a miraculous God he is. So this morning, in closing, as the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song, I want to encourage you to acknowledge God's goodness. I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to, to acknowledge God's sovereignty in your life. That whether it's good or whether it's bad, God is God and God remains faithful forever. And he will lead us. He will direct us. He will take you where he wants to take you. Our responsibility is to submit to him in that and say, God, I am yours. Let's stand as the worship team. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.